Welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon, where story creators talk story creation. Drake is an award-winning fantasy novelist and creative writing teacher. You can find his epic fantasy series, The Genesis Oblivion, on Kindle Vela. Marie runs a fantasy world-building channel called Just in Time Worlds, and her first book, The Hidden Blade, is available on Kindle Unlimited. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Releasing Your Inner Dragon. Today, we're going to talk about understanding how much story space you have and how much story space you need to give a character in order to tell their story, in order to give them room to breathe. And sometimes understanding that you don't have enough space in your story to tell everybody's story and understanding what you need to cut. If you're on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. Hit the little notification bell so you can get notified when new videos drop. If you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you add us to your list so that you can get new ones uh, as they drop. Uh, and then, as always, if you want to connect with us and, and you never know what's going to happen with social media or anything like that, it's always a volatile thing. Billionaires buying and selling and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So please go to our websites, join our mailing lists so that we can actually stay in touch with you uh, on a more regular basis. Promise you, we at least at least on my side, I guess I should have asked you this before I said it. I don't spam. <laughs> won't be inundated because to this date, I have never sent out a, a, a newsletter. Although this month we were supposed to, so now we're saying next month we're doing the first one. So you definitely will not get a lot from me. I don't, I don't send out newsletters, but I do send out occasional updates when something's happening like I'm looking for art reviewers and stuff like that yeah my last publicist and this is off the subject my last publicist like you know you gotta post on on social media at least three four five times a day i'm like what would i say <laughs> well it's like you have a job but as a full-time writer i probably live the most boring life that a human can live i'm like what am i gonna do i, I woke up today at 7 30 like i always do I, I had a cup of coffee like i always do i took the dog out and watched it you know in my yard like I always do. I'm at my desk by eight o'clock like I always am. My life is freaking boring. I don't leave the house. I do the same routine all day long. When I'm in the thing, like, you know, recording this every Thursday, we record these. It's completely new. And that's awesome. Same thing with, you know, my Wednesday writers groups. It's, it's Wednesday writers group. It's always there. Every Wednesday night is different. Mm. So it's fun. And same thing with writing. Every chapter is different. Every scene is different. Every plotting is different. Every character is different. But I, I can't tweet or, you know, Facebook yeah. about that stuff because that's going to be in the book. The reason why I started a YouTube channel rather than trying to, I don't know, blog or something was because I was like, I could record a video yeah. every week about talking about world building. I could do that. I don't know if I could write a blog post or right. That's the other half of it is I write all day long for a living. And now you want me to write on a social media platform too. Yeah. No, no, so, <laughs> no. Yeah. It does get, it does get rough. All right. Anyway, side note, like uh, behind the curtains of being a writer. How we got onto this topic is I saw the latest Harry Potter movie, uh, fantastic beasts and way to find them secrets of Dumbledore. And I have very mixed feelings. In fact, I have 25% good and 75% meh, that was a waste of money feelings. 
And the reason why is because 25% of the movie, the parts where Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen were on being Dumbledore and Gellert Grindelwald, was fantastic. Their chemistry was good. Their story was good. The tension was there. It was amazing. And 75% of the movie that dealt with Newt's commander and his freaking animals was meh. The story should have been on the other emphasis. Well, it's called Dumbledore's Secret, so it seems weird not to follow Dumbledore. Yeah. You'd think that Dumbledore would have more than 25% of the movie, given the title. And so we were discussing it, and then Drake spoke about Arcana, which is the League of Legends cartoon that's on Netflix. And yeah, so it was... I, I'm, I'm stuttering because I, I'm like in my brain going, do you really want to say this? You know, are you going to put your foot in your mouth? <laughs> um, but I always put my foot in my mouth. So I don't even know why I think about this stuff. Yeah. I'm having a really hard time as a fan lately. And I mean, lately in the last, definitely the last two, three years, but it's really started five, eight years, maybe even 10 years ago. It's just been this downward decline of not good entertainment. Uh, at least for me. And again, it's subjective and I get that, whatever. But I feel like they're making very grievous mistakes that are mistakes that should have been worked out of you as a novice writer. The reason why I'm such a su- supporter of writers groups is you should not write your first book and self-publish it because it's garbage. I know you think it's awesome, but it's not. Trust me, it's garbage. Throw it in the garbage because that's where it belongs. It does not belong to get published. And and you know, if you want, you you know, the way I always say it is if you want, you can just say, well, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about everyone else. And then you'll agree with me. You're like, oh, yeah, everyone else's first book is garbage. Mine is good. Right. Sure. However you want to say it. But everyone else's is garbage. And I'm saying that to all the yous out there. So for the other yous, theirs is good, but everyone else's <laughs> is garbage, which includes you. However you want to look at it. Because you need to make these mistakes. You need to make these really stupid bonehead mistakes that you think are good when you're, when you're producing it. But once somebody actually says, hey, that's not good. And this is why you can go, oh, you are right. Like, oh, my goodness. The problem is, is that once you have published it, once you've thrown it out there into the world, mm-hmm. where you're going to get that information, where you're going to learn your lessons is in reviews. Mm-hmm. And those stay forever. Throwing out something that hasn't been vetted by someone other than you is very dangerous. And so here we are with Arcane, Arcana. That's a a television show that I should have loved. I still recommend watching it, even though I'm going to poo-poo on it. I still think it was good enough to watch. The artwork is amazing. The animation is amazing. The writing is perfect in every way. Like, it really is. The voice acting was like so believable and so emotionally filled, but here's what they did that was wrong. And here's, and this is where it comes to this topic, even though it's a TV show and I can't remember if it had eight episodes or 10, it had either eight or 10 episodes, like most television shows are doing because budgeting is insane. And you just, they don't want to spend, they don't want to spend more money to hit those 20 episodes, 24 episodes like we used to. So they're spending the same amount of money as they used to, but it's just, you can only get eight to 10 episodes for that, yeah. for that money today. And so you're talking seven to nine hours of screen time, which sounds like a lot, but the thing that ruined arcane for me is 
they have, and I'm going to exaggerate here, but they have like 300 characters that they really try to delve into and give you all of their emotions and their backstories and their reasons. And, and plus they have a massive world building they have to do because it's a completely fantasy kind of futuristic steampunk kind of world that they're, that they build from scratch. All of that stuff takes time. And so the problem is, is that by spreading the story around to everybody, I don't like anybody. Or actually, I should say I don't love anybody. I liked them all. Like that was the thing is every single one of the story arcs, when they introduce the characters and they introduce like what what their reason for being in the story is, I'm like, oh my God, that's gonna be awesome. They don't have the time to actually make it awesome because now they're just introducing something else. You're like, oh, that's gonna be awesome. And oh, that's gonna be awesome. Oh, that's gonna be awesome. Oh, that's gonna oh, oh, the show's over. Oh. So it's just a bunch of, oh my God, that's gonna be really awesome, but they didn't have time to actually give me the awesome. And it's because they spread it out to everyone. Every single character I, you got, like they spent like 10 minutes on this one homeless guy that's in it one time. He's, because they're like, well, if you don't really understand this guy's motivations, then how are you going to know that, you know, his relationship with these other characters matters? And it's like, because he's a tertiary character. He's a bartender that says that'll be three coppers. I don't need to know his motivations. Like, it's just a tertiary character. When Marie brought up the whole Harry Potter thing, because I haven't seen it yet. Mm. And I was like, well, I, I really can't comment on that. Because I'm not going to spend, because I have to take the whole family. So I'm not going to spend $100 to go to a movie that is meh. Yeah. But I do, I, I spend 90 bucks a year on HBO Max. It's coming out in a month. I'll just wait for a month. I'll watch it on HBO Max. Then we can talk about it. So a lot of everything we do, everything we do is subjective, even even our podcasts and, and our opinions that we're giving through all this stuff. It's all subjective. You can agree, disagree. And, you know, and not only can you disagree, you can actually give legitimate arguments of why you disagree that debunk everything we say. And that's fine because it is subjective because then I can give arguments that debunk everything you just said because it's all subjective. So when she first laid that out, again, haven't seen it, but it made me go, well, OK, so could it be? that 25% was really well-written and 75% was just poorly written. Had they written that 75% better, mm-hmm. added more tension, added you know more dynamic characters, whatever, would you have still felt that way, that they were focusing on the wrong characters? And that's what led me to Arcane because to, in my mind, they definitely focused on the wrong characters because mm-hmm. they wasted all of this time introducing all of these story plots that they were never, that they didn't have enough time to actually fulfill. And so that's a little different than me, you know, different to me, but it still comes down to the same thing. Cause that's kind of what you said, Marie, you, you were yeah. like, well, no, the Dumbledore story was actually the interesting part of this story. Yeah. And so you even, you made the comment that, that I really liked where you were like, and I'll paraphrase and I'm going to reword it a little bit, but you were like, it, it's like they were bored and didn't want to write the other story. So they were just <laughs> half-assing it so that they could get back to the cool Dumbledore story. That's a problem. Like, like that is a problem. If, if you're a writer and you're writing something that you're like, okay, this is the boring part to me and, and you're bored writing it, then your readers are going to be bored reading it. Yeah. Like that's just fact. So that's, that's kind of the, the takeaway that I got from you with, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but no. that's kind of the, the Harry Potter. It is. When I was watching it, I was like, even the writers of this know that they're telling the wrong story because they are clearly like not actually interested in the Newt Commander's storyline. They want to tell Dumbledore and Gellert Grindelwald's story, and they're not. <laughs> well, and so that's, that's kind of takeaway from this. Well, there's two takeaways from this, I guess. 
One is make sure that you, you have to be, and I say this all the time, I am my biggest fan. You know, I've sat next to Brandon Sanderson at a, you know, convention, you know, at a, on a, on a panel and someone in the audience asked me who my favorite author was. No, no. They said, how do you feel about Brandon Sanderson, you know, and as a writer? So they're trying to put me in a bind, sit next to him. And I was like, oh, he's my second favorite author. And the audience didn't say anything, but Brandon turned to me and was like, wait, who's your first author? Or who's your favorite author? I'm like, oh, that would be me. <laughs> um, I was like, it would be you, but you don't write enough violence for me. If you wrote just a little bit more violence, you'd probably be my favorite author. Um, but the reality is, no, you really need to. And I truly believe this. You need to be your f- number one fan. You need to love everything that you write, because if you don't love it, who the heck X is going to love it? How do you think anybody else is going to love it? If you and this and this is, I think, one of the things that is very important to me as well to communicate to everybody out there listening. I'm 10 chapters away from finishing my fifth full book edit on the Ducal Air. I have literally not just read this thing cover to cover. I've edited cover to cover multiple times. And I still love certain scenes. I can still sit and just read certain scenes. And if you don't feel that strongly about your work, if you look at your work and I'm like, eh, I don't feel like editing it because I don't feel like reading it. Right. Rewrite. Rewrite now. Because if you don't love it, your readers certainly won't. I think it's one of the reasons why I love editing so much, because I love rereading the chapters. And each time I tear up, I laugh out loud, I, I get excited. Like if you don't have that giddiness, if, if you dread editing your own work because you just don't want to slog through it, then why would I want to slog through reading it? If, if, you, if you feel like that, go through your work and every piece that you feel like is a slog, cut. Cut immediately because it's not adding anything to the story. Or rewrite, but you know, now we've switched sides. <laughs> yeah, but but do something with it. If you struggle with it, your readers are gonna hate it. You've got to love your own work. Yeah, 100 percent So so not only do not only do you have to be your number one fan, mm. you also have to balance it out. And I think this is where Arcane made mm. their mistake. You have to balance it out with the fact that no one is gonna love every one of your characters at the level that you love them. Or your world. Or your world or anything. Like there, there is a tendency sometimes in fantasy to put things in because it shows how cool this part of my world is. Because you love every portion of your world that you have lovingly crafted. 100%. And that's why, you know, for world building, I always say you need to use it like spice. If you yeah. put a pound of salt in stew, it's going to taste like crap. If you put yeah. no salt in stew, it's going to taste like crap. You have to put just a little bit, but enough. And so that's, that's world building. You're going to create, you know, reams of paper worth of stuff, but only a little bit of it is actually going in the story. But it's the same thing with your characters. Again, I think this is where Arcane messed up is they came up with all these amazing dynamic characters that they were so excited to share with the audience that they lost sight of the fact that you just don't have time. Now they are lucky in the fact and different in the fact that every single one of them, I was like, oh my God, that is awesome. Normally what happens is the writers start, and it's usually happens in prose, not in, not in visual medium, but they start, you know, making me follow this character, that character, this character, or they head hop and they're in. And I'm like, I don't care about this character. It's not cool. 
it, I don't, I know you think it's cool, but there's nothing interesting about this thing. And I don't want to be here and I don't want to follow this. You know, I really loved this main character or, or these, these main characters. Why am you wasting my time with this crap? Arcane was at least good enough to make every single one of them actually cool, except for maybe that homeless guy. But most people don't even succeed at that. So you have to balance it between, you know, those two things. Not only do you, does everything have to be exciting and you have to be your number one fan and you have to love what you're rereading of your own work, but you also have to understand that you can't put too much into it. And I think that's really where we come down to here. And I've noticed a tendency in some books these days of having one-off POVs a character that just once has a POV, I'm like, what is this crap? Why is this important? Or sometimes you have a POV from a tertiary character's perspective so that you can show how the world is reacting to the hero. And I'm like, what? What? (laughs) And villain POVs. I'm not a huge fan of villain POVs, I will admit. In the prologues, sometimes, but... There are there are some books these days that have got villain POVs, like full-blown POVs. Every third chapter is from a villain, a villainous character's perspective. And I'm like, I don't I, I don't want to hear the story. Like this is not the story I'm here for. So the problem with that I have with that is I feel like a lot of them are trying to make the villain relatable. I think when you do that, not all the time, there are definitely some instances that it might be really good to do that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the vast majority of times what you're actually doing is watering the story down because I want to hate the villain. Mm. I want to I don't want to know why every single detail and and, and understand the brokenness and this pain that they solved, which mm. which which makes it so relatable that they would turn out this way and blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't want that information. Mm. You know, the, the villains that we were talking about on the last episode, Hannibal, Dexter, Barry. Mm. Those are the heroes. <laughs> yeah, they're they're villain, they're villain us, but they're the protagonists. They're they are who we're following. So we absolutely need to know what broke them, so that we can sympathize and relate with them and understand where they're at now. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the villain, the the villain that our heroes are acting against. And right. I guess my problem is when you're giving me both perspectives. You're basically setting me up for for a point of view where at the end of it, one of these two sides is going to lose. Yes, real life is like that. But mm-hmm. that's not what I'm looking for in my fantasy. I I really... For I, fiction in general. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would like to feel good about the heroes winning. I would like to... And if I, if I have a little bit of sympathy for the villain, that's fine. Show me in the story. Don't put me inside their head and then have the hero womp them. Right. Because first of all, you don't know, you don't know all of your readers. So some readers are going to root for the villain. And so when you defeat the villain, they're not going to be satisfied with Mm -hmm. your story because you've actually done whatever that in their life, they relate really well to that villain. Mm. And so now it becomes a tragedy for them. And since it isn't written as a tragedy, it doesn't have the, the, you know, like seven is written as a tragedy. So it's very fulfilling. 
because it's it's supposed to be a tragedy and you get that it's a tragedy and you're fulfilled by that story. But if you're writing a feel good story where the hero's going to win, but I relate to the villain, that's not a tragedy. You just sort of forced me to, to, to see it as one. And so I'm probably not going to like the story. Because if it was if it was a tragedy, then at the end of it, I would feel the pathos of having, you know, my hero die. Uh, you know, like the Troy story or or Romeo and Juliet, um, preventable though that particular tragedy was. <laughs> but <laughs> I have problems with that play. <laughs> but if I'm supposed to be happy that the heroes have won and the people that I was was rooting for was the, were the villain. Or even if I'm not rooting for them, even if I still empathize with them and I feel you're going to make me feel bad that they I'm, I'm happy to say I am rooting for the hero and I'm happy that they won but now you've made me pay a cost like I actually now feel bad that the villain lost and so that's the that's the danger that I feel you run into when you when you spend too much time I'm, I'm sure there is an audience for that like style of book sure but then make that choice and and understand that there will be people who be like Actually, that's not not what I want to read. <laughs> I want to chase a rabbit for a second, completely off topic, because I think it's it's you just mentioned it and it it's worth at least saying. And I don't know if we'll ever do a podcast completely on this. The what you hate about Romeo and Juliet is a plot device that I hate everywhere, and it's especially in sitcom TV, which I that's my dirty secret. I am a huge sitcom TV fan. I will binge hours and hours and hours of whatever i really do i really like and, and i think it's because i can't write it I, I'm, I'm attracted to things as a fan that i can't write because then i can't critique it as much or whatever but one thing that they do that always pisses me off is the same plot device they used at the end of roman and juliet and that is if they had just opened their mouth and talked to each other none of this would have happened and you can get away with that occasionally but oh my goodness especially in sitcoms it's every episode every single moment if I had just opened my mouth and explained or talked to you or communicated in any way, you wouldn't have thought this. You wouldn't have. And it's so it's so innocent. You know, you get caught in what looks like a compromising situation that's very easy to explain. And you just don't open your mouth. You just stare at them and then they leave all angry. And the whole episode is now blown up because of that. And it's like, just talk, just and I realize that now you have no episode, but then come up with something else. Be a better writer. Yeah. Seriously, like that, that annoys me so much. As a trope, those, that kind of self-inflicted wound actually makes me occasionally just close a book. I am an adult human being. You're asking me to believe that another adult human being cannot open their mouth and talk to their significant other. Because let me tell you, I have had disagreements with my husband. We say things like, this really pissed me off because of these reasons. Is that what you meant? No, actually, what I meant was blah, blah, blah. And we work through our issues. <laughs> and that's, that's actually the problem with 99% of at least healthy relationship problems. There are some broken relationships out there, and, and this isn't those. But if, if you're in a healthy, loving relationship, 99% of the times when you get mad, it's really on you. Like you 
didn't hear it right. You misunderstood it. You're putting emphasis on something that the other person just doesn't care about or doesn't realize should they, they should care about. You're reading stuff into somebody else's actions. If you just open your mouth and say, hey, I'm actually upset by this because this is the way I perceived it. And they go, what? No, it was nothing like that. It was, it, I totally meant it this way or, or whatever. So I think mine and my wife's biggest arguments are she'll explode on me. And I'm like, what the crap? And she's like, well, I said it, you know, earlier today, I said, we have to do this or I want you to do this, whatever. I'm like, I swear to God, I didn't hear you. Like, and so she's furious at me for not doing, not saying, not being, not whatever on something I didn't even hear. (laughs) And so like, that is probably 99% of our arguments. And it's just me going, I, I did not hear you. Like, you can't bust me for, for this. And then she'll be like, oh, well, you should have heard me, you know, or whatever. But to bring, bring it back to our, yeah. So you're right. Like most healthy relationships, you work out by talking to each other. But stories aren't about healthy relationships. They're about broken relationships. And that's not mostly interesting to, like, it doesn't make for good plot. Because... Oh, yeah. Me and my wife have a boring relationship. <laughs> yeah. We almost never fight. When I say nine nine percent of arguments, that happens four times a year. (laughs) So I understand the necessity, but that's why I don't read romance because those plots annoy me so much. And they're rife in romance. They are rife in romance. They're everywhere in romance. And as I said, that's what annoys me so much about romance. And it's why I don't read romance because I don't like that plot type. Right. And I do want to give two, before we get back on, just looking at characters and making sure that we're focused on them. There is in my mind, two really good solutions for it. One come up with a situation where they can't tell the information. Like you catch me in something. I go, Oh, let me explain. And then I fall through a trap door. If I can't explain it to you and, and it's like, Oh, then that caused that problem. Then that's great. I'm there. Or make sure that, 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 that character has that as a deficiency. Maybe the character just doesn't refuse to open up to anybody, doesn't trust anybody, doesn't whatever. Like you can have, but that has to be a central. Well, that's a central theme. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's just to, to finish that. I just want to chase that rabbit because you had mentioned Romeo and Juliet and, and the ending of that and not liking that. And, and I think that's the reason is because it's it just talk to each other. And by the way, it annoys me in fantasy stories too. In, if in fantasy story, if your plot could be solved, by two of your characters having a conversation, go rethink your plot. 100%. 100%. Is man, that annoys me. I'm like, yeah. dudes, if one of you had opened your mouth and just shared some information, this whole situation could have been avoided. Yeah. So anyway, back on to... Back on to making character. sure you're telling good stories. So yeah, so, so some things that, that bother both of us, the one-off scenes, and I, and I get why people do this. And I mean, even... Brandon Sanderson does it in the Stormlight Chronicles. Um, and I'm hoping that there's a payoff for it. And I, you know, I trust Brandon Sanderson as a story creator, and I feel pretty confident that there will be um, that payoff. But still, in each one of those books, I mean, they're, they're 400,000 words long. You get to the middle, there's this huge chapter that's in another part of the world that has nothing to do with the story, nothing to do with the main characters, nothing to do with anything. And it's literally on a completely different continent it's it's like the whole story is taking place in america and now we're going to have one scene in hong kong with mm. a character that we've never met that's never going to interact with any because they're in hong kong and it's like what yeah. again 
I'm not picking on Brian Sanderson. I'm sure he's going to have a payoff for it. But I will tell you, even though he is my second favorite author, when I hit those chapters, it made me go, uh, do I just skip this section? And I didn't because I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a completionist, even in video games. That's why it's so tough for me. I have to have everything. So I have to keep reading it. But 400,000 words is a lot of words to read, right? I, I actually, I have the fourth book. I think it's four books now, right? Yeah, the fourth book's out. Yeah. So I have the fourth book, but I haven't actually read it because I can't remember. Right? I have to go back from the, in the beginning. And every time I think about going back and reading Stormlight Archive again, I'm like, but there's going to be that POV from that random dude. And I can't remember what it is. You know, <laughs> there's something about some swamp area. One of them was that. And that's Brandon Sanderson, right? So, so think twice, maybe think three times before you include it. <laughs> here's, here's some dirt. Here's a dirty secret about me. I always talk about Wheel of Time being my favorite series. I still haven't read the last two books. I don't know how it ends. Every time I'm like, oh, I really want to, to finish this up. I got to start with the prequel mm. and work my way through. And like the last time was just before the pandemic, uh, I had gotten to book nine or maybe book 10, one of those. And then whatever life pulled me away. And so now it's been two years and I'm like, well, the next time I get the itch to like, I want to finish these last two books of the wheel of time. I got to start all Cause I don't I, like, I want to binge it. I want to, you know, cause I also own them all. Not only do I, do, do I own them on hardback. I don't even read them anymore. Um, I've got them all on audio because each one is what 45, 50 hours. So I've got to come up with where can I spend 15 weeks working full time, listening to an audio book for 15 weeks to, to finish this series up. So I've never finished it. Yeah. which is horrible to say. And don't spoil it. <laughs> no one tell me how it is. I, I, I never got through the first book. <laughs> I oh, quit. I, oh. I quit like 25% into the first book. I was like, I can't, I can't take these characters. I, I can't. <laughs> I, you know, there's that scene in the village where uh, Matt, I think it's Matt, mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. best friend, is just doing the most childish crap. And I was just like, is this, this is a character I need to follow. I'm done. I'm just done. And, and it's definitely hard in the beginning. <laughs> and I don't know of any other way to do it, but, but all of them, Matt and Perrin both play crucial roles in the story as it goes, but not in the beginning, yeah. not in the beginning. You're like, Oh, well, I'm following this Rand character. He's obviously the chosen one. That's interesting. I want to. And so in that, and this, this relates to what we're talking about here in that you do feel like, like, why am I following? And then same thing with the green and, and Niravine and all of those. You're like, why, why am I following these? Like Rand is the character. It, it, this is a very simple chosen one hero's journey. But you can't have a simple hero's journey over 15 novels. And so all of these characters become very instrumental in the bigger picture as it goes on. But yeah, in that first book, they're not. And, oh, I, I get that, right? And, and I mean, I'm willing to give an author a lot of leeway on, on a character. I am. But those 
characters irritated me. As characters, they didn't just annoy me. They didn't just make me feel like I wish these guys would grow up. They made me be like, I don't want to be in this guy's head. And that was why I quit with a thumb. Like, yeah. And you're not alone. I know so many people that have never finished that first book, you know, fantasy readers that have never finished that first book. And I'm, and actually it took me two or three times, I think, uh, you know, I, I started it, yeah. put it down for a year, started it, put it down for a year. And it was actually, it was during a time in my life where I was rewiring cities. Uh, I used to do structural uh, rewiring. So climbing up the big poles and running telephony and cable and, and all this stuff. And there was a lot of driving for me because I was in management. So I'm going yeah. around and I have to go around and quality control and manage and all of that. And so the only reason why I even got through that first book was it was just audio. I just had it in my truck and I'm driving all the time. So I'm just listening to this, uh, to this thing. But then it was like, once I got past that, mm. you really get into it. No, and I, I've heard that, but I just, you know, I just didn't, you know, but I mean, it's like even George R. R. Martin, who's one of my favorite authors, right? There are characters in that saga that I could have done without. I, I, I don't understand why we're following them. I don't. They serve nothing. Well, when you kill off all your main characters and all your secondary characters and most of your tertiary characters, I mean, you pretty much <laughs> are just kind of scraping the barrel at that point. It's like, didn't I introduce a homeless guy in season one? Maybe I can have him be a Narian character. Like, because everyone else is dead. George R. R. Martin is not one of my favorite authors. <laughs> Completely understandable. Yeah. But it is, my point is like, especially in the later books of Game of Thrones, in A Song of Ice and Fire, rather, there are POV characters that add nothing to the main plot. They yeah. add nothing to the main plot. Now, I hope there will be a... Actually, I know there won't be a payoff because I know he's not going to finish the series. Yeah. But, it's, it's never going to get finished. But regardless... I'm, I'm calling that now. Yeah. But actually, regardless, I, called it, like, I called it like five years ago. At the time when I read it, I was like, I hope there's going to be a payoff for this. But I don't actually think there is i don't yeah. think there was ever an intent to pay off i think it was just a slice of life moment and i have a real interest in the freaking story can we please get back to it well and i've said this before i don't know if i said this in the podcast but i definitely have talked about this in my in my online classes and my live mm -hmm. classes and all that Martin's problem, and it's and it's been his problem. He's been mm. writing forever. He's got a ton of stuff out there. Mm. Game of Thrones is just the thing that made him a household yeah. name because they made it as a TV series. But you know, epic fantasy, and you're not going to be able to see this on the podcast. But uh, I'm I'm doing my hands outwards, like at, like at angles. So epic fantasy, you you start at a point, you you grow it and grow it, and you make it bigger and bigger. But it, at some point, you got to bring it in. And you start coming into a point to finish it. So it's like a diamond. George Martin never curves in anything, which is why he's never finished any series. The, the, mm. the wild card series, any of them, he's never mm. finished anything because he only writes out. He just keeps going bigger and 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 bigger, which is why they can't finish the TV show because they follow the first you know four books to the letter. And they're like, how do we bring these stories together? Because he never curves. He never has any interest in that. His, his interest is always about adding new stuff and adding new stuff and adding and making it bigger and bigger and bigger. And so there's a point of no return. 
it's sort of like if you're going into a black hole, you have the event horizon. You cross the event horizon. You can never come back from that. Yeah. And that's kind of Martin. He, he keeps going until he crosses the event horizon. And now there's no way to get the payoff. There's no way the, the thing is so huge. Bring it, bring it back to our. So anyway, coming back, one-offs are very t- difficult because, again, a lot of times it's just you think. Yeah. To you, it's important. To you, it's interesting. But to your readers, it's it's we're we're locked into these main characters, and you have multiple main characters. But, but you've given us their stru- their struggle and their plight and, and everything about mm-hmm. them, and that's what I want to learn about. That's what I want to go into. Sometimes you're not giving your main characters, your POV characters, enough space, and now you're jamming yet another thing in here. And that, actually, speaking about it, I'm reminded that one of my beta readers for Ducal Air actually said to me, and this is the reason why Ducal Air is not 120,000 words, it's 180,000 words. But one of them was like, you don't have enough Naira in here. You've cut her story down so close to the plot bone. And she's such an interesting character. Yeah, and but she's like, I'm not attached to her. Mm-hmm. And I need more because... She's 200 years old. She's really complex. She comes from a position of authority, which she gives up. I need to understand her. You need to put in more slice of life Mm -hmm. before. So, and that's like where a chunk of additional character plot comes, you know, things come in to Ducal Heirs because I wasn't giving her enough space to breathe. Now imagine if I had one off, so that's actually one of the bonuses. So since I write in every medium, comics, games, stage plays, musicals, TV, movies, prose, that's one of the huge advantages that you get out of prose. First of all, there's no budget for extensions or, or, or whatever. You know, film is very expensive. Video games are very expensive. I mean, the game that I'm working on has a $15 million budget. The last game I worked on had a $600 million budget. So like these things are not cheap. And when you start going, oh, you know what? I, I want to really expand this. You're talking about huge amounts of money. But in prose, you know, you expanded 60,000 words. One of the, the crazy things to me that a lot of people don't realize, a movie script is really, you can tell everything in prose that you can do in a two-hour movie script in about twenty to 30,000 words. Mm. So you just added, if we were doing video, you just added, you know, four to six hours yep. of screen time. In a book, that's going to add 70 cents to the printing cost, yeah. not, maybe not even that much, 40 cents to the printing cost. And so it's not that big of a deal to, to go down and, and have to deal with that. But like we were talking about with Arcane, where they're, they're, they shoved everything in and they try to give every single one of these characters, they are very limited on budget. So you have to think about that. But you're also limited on budget, even as a prose writer. I don't want to read every character's backstory. I want to read the plot. Well, well, I wasn't even going to go on. I was going to go from a writer's standpoint. One of the craziest things about um, the Stormlight Chronicles to me, Mm -hmm. with them being 400,000 words each. Mm -hmm. And and yes, Brandon Sanderson just did a Kickstarter, made $42 million. He's got money. It's, Mm -hmm. he's not, he's not suffering, but I, my company is starving writer studio and it's not an ironic title. It's just a literal title. And so, to me, writing a 400,000 word novel means that I've actually done two jobs worth of work and I'm only going to get paid for one of them. Whereas if I'm writing 180, because I, you know, most of my books, 
on the short end, 130, 140,000. I'm now I'm, I'm sitting the stuff that I'm going to be releasing over these next couple of years are much closer privately. You know, my, me as a single, all the realm are about 130 to 140,000, but like the director's edition of uh, Genesis is coming out all 180,000. And I'm fine with that. You know, I can spend that kind of time and, and get paid as a job because I did this, but to think about the fact that I would then put two of those together and just get paid once. That's the thing that's really weird. So you do have to also still think about budget, even as a prose writer, because time, effort, editing, yeah. all of that, yeah, you know, sure, the printing cost doesn't go up that much, but you're adding months and months and months that you're not getting paid yeah. by doing this stuff. And it's not all about the pay. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just saying that you have to, if you're going to do this professionally, you have to think about that. Yeah, you do. I mean, ultimately, we do want to get paid for this because we do want to make a living because... That's where you want to be, right? It's the only way I pay. I mean, you have a job, which is awesome, which is why I took this job working for the video game company, because I haven't made money in a couple of years. And the money that I have made, which has been great, dwindles over time when you don't make any more money. So, you know, having that steady paycheck with the video game company just means money coming in, whether I'm, you know, publishing stuff or not. But getting back to the focusing on on characters, it, it all still relates. It all still comes down to what you kind of have to think about. You have to think about no one's going to love all the characters like you do. So don't force them to do that. Be careful about getting into your villains heads uh, and making them relatable if that's not the story that you're telling, uh, because that's going to cause problems. Don't give me one-offs of a character like the bartender that I'm never going to see again, because why do I care? You know, sure, you might care, and you're doing some piece of world building that you just think is just the cat's meow, but it, it has nothing to do with the story that I'm reading. It has, the sto- it has to do with the story you created in this giant world, and that's it. And that's not fun for me, the reader. And then think about your medium. Think about how much space you actually have. Even getting down to the 20 novels of, of the realm, running eight POV characters through it. We, when we first plotted out back in 2009, we started plotting out and started writing. We, we threw away about a hundred thousand words, um, which we're ended up going to recycle and do for like free newsletters and stuff like that. Uh, so we're going to release those stories, just not in the novel because we, we plotted out this stuff and we had these really cool stories set in these worlds. But then when I took a step back and we knew where the story was going to end, I was like, we can't, we now can't do this in 20 novels. We'd have to take 30 novels or 40 novels to do this. So it was like, well, we just can't tell these stories. There's just, there's too much story, even for 20 novels. Cause you know, that was an eye opener for me. Cause I was like, well, we got 20 novels. We got enough yeah. for, we can do everything, but yeah. you really can't. Yeah. You, you are still limited. You have to balance that out. You have to balance out how much room do I actually have to tell a story? Because you have to make me love those characters. You have to make me care about them or I don't care about what they're going to lose, what they're striving for, what they're going to overcome. That's time. That's, you know, every time you give me a bartender for a chapter or every time you give me, you know, head hopping or you give me too many characters, you're taking time away from really making the reader connect to this character or these few characters. And so you have to balance that out. You have to think about it. You have to think about the medium that you have. And sure, a novel, you can go, especially if you're self-publishing, you can go 80,000 words, 90,000 words, 200,000 words. You can do anything in between. You know, sometimes when I'm, because I'm hybrid, so I traditionally publish and self-publish or indie press, indie publish is what they want to call it now. 
sometimes I get a contract that says, you know, we want this many words plus or minus 10%. A lot of anthologies are that way where they're like, well, you can do a 6,000 word story plus or minus 10%. So 5,400 to 6,600 and that's it. The story has to fall in there. That's what the contract is for. So sometimes you're limited that way, but usually, especially if you're in indie, you pretty much do whatever you want. But even if you're not, if you're, if you're doing novels, they pretty much, they don't want you to go insane Mm. unless you're Brandon Sanderson, that they know they're going to sell millions of copies. But that's why Harry Potter, the first book is only 80,000 words. Mm. If she had made it bigger than that, she would not have sold it. No one is going to do a kid's fantasy book because that's what it is. It was a middle grade fantasy book. No one's going to do that. It's 120,000 words, 140,000. They're just not going to publish it. They'll be like, no, no kids buying this. Now, once it starts selling millions of copies, yeah. they're like, oh, you want to do 200,000 words in a book? No problem. Do, do 200. That's yeah. why when you look at the series on my shelf, it goes a <laughs> little book, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit. Oh, my God, it's taking up half the, the shelf for this last book. But that has to do with money. It has nothing yeah. to do with genre. Yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of a balancing act and understanding that these have real world consequences to the reader. I think it's important that we also reiterate that you have to love your own work. Despite the fact that you have to prune and make sure that what you're putting in is relevant to the reader, you still have to love your own work. Yes. And I guess that's a weird balancing act, too, because you love it all, or at least you should love it all. And so now you, and that's that's where cutting your darlings comes from. Yes. You know, a lot of people think it means killing characters or, you know, kill your darlings. They think it means killing characters. It's not. Your darlings are scenes that you've written or world building devices that you've created that are really, really cool to you, but you, there's nowhere to put them in. They need to fall to the cutting room floor. And on that note, we will see you soon for another episode. Hi. Hey guys, Drake here. Thank you so much for listening to Releasing Your Inner Dragon podcast. I hope you're getting a ton of information and maybe even some nuggets of gold that you can take into your own writing to help you on your journey of story creation. A couple things I want to throw at you. First of all, for the first time in years, I am opening myself up to being a private mentor again. If you would like for me to work with you to improve your writing right now, reach out to me. You can either go to my website, maxwellalexanderdrake.com, and send me a contact form or or just email me at author at maxadrake.com. Also, as many of you may know, I've been out of the novel game for quite a few years. I was the lead fiction writer for EverQuest Next from Sony. I've been in the movie and TV industry for a few years now. But I am excited to say I'm back into the novel game. I've actually been working on a novel for a little while now, and I'm going to start dropping it on Amazon's Vela. So if you're on that platform, look me up, Maxwell Alexander Drake. Thank you again for listening, and as always, keep writing. Hi guys, this is Marie from Releasing Your Inner Dragon, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you're interested in more content on fantasy world building, head over to YouTube and look up Just In Time Worlds. I release tons of content there. If you'd like to check out my book, The Hidden Blade by Marie M. Mullaney, it is available as an ebook, audiobook, and print book on Amazon. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.